So the word altar call or the phrase altar call invitation can be used synonymously. It is an invitation to say, this is what God's word has said. It has cut through the division of soul and spirit to the joints and marrow. It's discerned the heart. And now what are you going to do with it? So it's the point to me, it's the, it's the apex. It's the climax of the service to when you need to do business with God. You've heard God's word and there's a decision to make. Is there a life change that you need to make? Is there a commitment you need to make? And to do this, the pastor or layperson teacher, they need to call the person in an invitation to make a decision. And that is what an altar call is. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 214. I'm your host, Mike Neglia, and this week's guest is my old friend, Mason Mortimer. Uh, Mason and I have a thoughtful and nuanced conversation about altar calls, about the preacher inviting people to make a decision for Christ. Now, this is a controversial topic, and I don't know what you think about it, but I invite you to think about it. Uh, Mason is a winsome and clear man who is going to definitely give you food for thought that might even prompt some action this next Sunday. All right, here is Mason Mortimer. All right. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, you're in for a treat because I'm speaking to my old college roommate, Mason Mortimer. Mason, how are you? Doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me on the program. Boy, I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm glad to see you in uh, on this Zoom screen. Uh, the last time I saw you, it was at Reliance Church. Uh, I had spoken. Uh, I think I, I talked to you between first and second service. I think I, if I, if memory serves, I, I preached the first service and then sat with you and your your wife, and we were just chatting. and uh, And you gave me some feedback, uh, Mason. Do you remember the feedback you gave me? I did. I did, Mike. And um, it's because the message was fantastic. Just Aww. so. The points were on all flattering side, right? Yes. Uh, the points were on. Everything was dialed in. Lots of cohesion. Things made sense. It made sense to me. I don't know what everybody else in the audience thought, but they made sense to me. And the only feedback I was able to give you, or I would be able to give you, is the point at which a person says, this is for me, until they get to the point that says, what do I do about it? Mm-hmm. It's my opinion that the pastor or the teacher needs to lead that person there. And that would be my main feedback for you is, Mike, you gave me some good stuff to chew on. Specifically, it was in Revelation chapter 3. And because God's spirit did work, I thought about those things and applied those to my life. But during the service, maybe other people won't do that. Maybe they're, maybe they're thinking about what they've got to do at work or, or something else. And right when that, you know, in Jesus' name, amen, they're up, they're out, they don't think they're again. So it's just connecting those two points between God speaking and between the person saying, this is what I need to do about it. And that's you, that's the connection. Yeah. And so you you gave me the feedback uh, that, yeah, my altar call wasn't very clear, that there wasn't much of a, of a okay, what, what do I do next? Um, that was kind of lacking, or that might have been a little bit more amorphous or a little bit fuzzy, um, and uh, the, that that connection wasn't there. And so I've scheduled this, Mason, so you could explain to me more about how to do a better and clearer altar call. Um, my 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 other friend, um, Kellen Criswell, he talks about um, kind of like coaching or mentors, and he says like the best the best um, friends a person can have is the one who like loves you and knows you and then tells you what you need to hear. And so thank you for telling me what I need to hear, um, that that altar call or that call at the end towards a response was a little bit amorphous or vague. That's right. And my favorite quotes, Mike, is we live in a world full of people that would rather lie to your face than hurt your feelings. 
Wow. And I do my best to attempt not to surround myself with people like that because, man, I want to get better. I don't want people to be yes people and say, yeah, you did great. You're so amazing. I love you so much. That's wonderful, but that doesn't help me get better. It only helps me get better when people are brutally honest with me and I know that they love me and that's when things get better. Yeah. At, at the Expositors Collective, we often are talking about how like preachers need to seek out mentors or um, encourage uh, constructive criticism and feedback. And so this is just an example of that, guys. <laughs> so Mason, why why should I listen to you about altar calls or, or specifically like, here's the thing. Um, I'll dial it back a little bit. Like, have you ever given an altar call before or when was your first altar call that you ever gave? So Mike, I, I got saved in the charismatic movement into a charismatic church. And when people think of the word or the phrase altar call, they think about my church. That's, that's what it was. Walk an aisle, pray a prayer, kneel at the altar, weep, you know, at my church, get slain in the spirit. Um, so a lot of different things. And so that's, that's where I was church. That's where I, I cut my teeth. And so in college communications class, I was so excited about that class because I love speaking to public. It's just one of the gifts I have. And so our first speech was just to be in a, kind of a, um, a reading. So I think I did something from Robert Fulgham's All I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Well, the second speech was an informative speech. So I thought, well, I'll inform people why God's word is real and why it's active in their life. But the last speech was a persuasive one. Mm. You guessed it, brother. I gave a gospel message in my college class. And Mike, I didn't just, you know, Romans 323, 623, 5a, John 316, you know, all those. I didn't just do that. I told the whole class to bow your heads. To close your eyes. Okay. I, I really gave an invitation. And a lot of people say, I can't believe you did that. How, what a bad example to the world. Well, here's the thing. I won't tell her last name because of confidentiality, but a girl named Rhonda raised her hand and met with, and prayed the sinner's prayer because I prayed the sinner's prayer in class with her. She started coming to the church that I was going to. She got involved with the Baptist Student Union on our college campus. And she is still walking with the Lord. And again, that's not Mason. That's wow. Jesus. Wow. Don't ever be scared of, of people or what they might say, what they might think, because people, like she literally got saved in a college class because I gave an, what I believe to be an effective altar call. Um, what a plot twist. I was expecting you to talk about like what a, what a cringy experience it was or how you really regret it but it sounds like that's not the point of that story, is it? It's not. And in my opinion, the serve a God that is so compelling because his primary focus, of course, is saving us from sins to, to bridge the gap. Of course, is rescuing us from a sinner's hell. But his focus is relationship. And I, I don't see how you can do that poorly. I mean, maybe people do, but if you focus on the fact that God loves you, he created you for fellowship and a relationship, and you'd be absolutely passionate about that. I strongly believe that there will be a great response to that, or people would have to at least reject it, not based on your presentation, but based upon the fact that they just don't want God. Sure. Okay. So we've used the word, I guess, altar call a few a few different times, and we haven't really defined it yet. And um yeah, maybe is it worthwhile to spend a minute or two kind of unpacking what you mean by by altar call or maybe it's various like genres or flavors to what an altar call is? Absolutely. And you, you had, I think you mentioned this on your Facebook page and one of the individuals said, you know, you said, well, should we do altar calls where you heard about them, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the individuals says, the only altar, altar I know about is the Lord's table. Mm -hmm. Man, that is, that is so poignant. And ultimately for this conversation, and in my opinion, in the future, an altar call doesn't have to be in a tent with 10,000 people, mm -hmm. with a trail with a loud hellfire brimstone preacher in front. It is an invitation. So the word altar call or the phrase altar call invitation can be used 
synonymously. It is an invitation to say, this is what God's word has said. It has cut through the division of soul and spirit, through the joints and marrow. It's discerned the heart. And now what are you going to do with it? So it's the point, to me, it's the, it's the apex, it's the climax of the service to when you need to do business with God. You've heard God's word and there's a decision to make. Is there a life change that you need to make? Is there a commitment you need to make? And to do this, the pastor or layperson teacher, they need to call the person in an invitation to make a decision. And that is what an altar call is. Okay, so it's a it's a call to action, and it's essentially to say you've been informed, you've your heart has been warmed by these things. It's it's made it's prompted feelings or 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 a concern, and so here's what you do to get right with God, or here's the next step that you need to take. So it's it's it sounds like it's just a way of really inviting people to make the truth that they've heard impact their life and take a kind of a, some kind of a step towards that. Is that. Absolutely. It's, it's truly, it's, a, it's, it's in the, it's in the definition. The definitions in the phrase, it is a call to God's altar. It is a call to do business with him. It is a call to make good on what he's spoken to you and what you know you need to do. Hmm. Now the story that you told earlier about about Rhonda is like you know you you called I guess the whole class to believe in Jesus and and be and be forgiven. Um, are there other ways for people to be all you know to call to the altar? Um, is there other another step or I guess we're talking about let's say the call to salvation? Um, is it also possible that? this altar call or this decision or this invitation can be not just to salvation, but unto like a certain step in Christian experience. Absolutely. So in my opinion, so really you can, you can do the, and I guess for our conversation from what you told me, we're speaking mostly to pastors, to Christian leaders in implementing this into their service. You can do a call to decision and altar call at any time in their service. In fact, my pastor once just really felt God's spirit leading before he even started. He gave a salvation altar call and 10 people raised their hands to receive the Lord. No word had been spoken, anything like that. It's just like the Holy Spirit said, um, you're going to just move a little bit out of the way right now because I'm ready to work. And so, however, with the altar call, I think that the best part is during, like I said before, the climax of the apex of the service. And with that, you do not have to just invite sinners to become Christian. I think there's really three individuals that you should be speaking to at your altar call in your service. And the first, of course, is sinners. People in a completely unconverted state, maybe they've heard the gospel before, but have never chosen uh, to decide for Jesus, to ask him to forgive, him, forgive their sins. The second one is an individual who is wayward. And the third is a decision time for the believer to go ahead and make a commitment to Christ. And I can unpack that a little bit more, but those are the three individuals that I would speak to in the altar call. Okay. Yeah. I've kind of, I kind of jotted those down and let's, let's circle back to those, to those, um, those three categories uh, later on. But so the, the altar call or the call for decision uh, did you invent this, Mason, or was this something from your from that charismatic church that you went to? Um, do we have any kind of like historical precedent uh, for this type of invitation towards a response? Yeah, for sure. And um, talking about the altar call without talking about this individual I'm going to describe is really like uh, talking about electric cars and not talking about Elon Musk talking about flight and not talking about the Wright brothers. And so the individual is Charles Finney. Now, easy, easy, easy. I know that there are some that are listening and say, oh, Finney, I can't, I can't believe they mentioned that name. Um, you are not alone, um, oh, pastor or teacher, in your belief because Charles Finney, it was said of him by one of his contemporaries, if Finney comes to my town, I'm going to oppose him with a cannon. So people didn't like him, but the ultra call that has been the traditional one is really invented by Charles Finney. But before you beat him up too much, he was an individual 
who did a lot of things very differently. Um, he stopped using a lot of the, the King James high language. He spoke to people on their level. Actually, he treated a lot of the people at his services as though they were a jury. And he was presenting the gospel very clearly and very plainly. He was a guy who just had a passion for people to know Jesus. And one of the things, I'm just going to read this, read this quote because I don't want to, I don't want to botch it. So as far as Finney, he said, men, women, you are bound to be wise and winning souls. The city is going to hell. Yes, the world is going to hell and must go on until the church finds out what to do to win souls. Politicians are wise. The children of this world are wise. They know what to do to accomplish their ends. While we are prosing about not knowing what to do or where to take hold of the work, and sinners are going to hell. And a, a couple other examples, Mike, if I might. Um, do you mind if I, I quote a couple other people as well to give context? Please do. So the more who aren't Finney, the better. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I love it. And that's that's one of the reasons I I'm not here to divide anyone. I'm just here to point people to Jesus. And as long as we can do that, let's do it. So a couple of the less controversial figures, I've got a quote also from John Wesley. His charge with this, you have nothing to do but to save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in this work. It is not your business to preach so many times, but to save as many souls as you possibly can, to bring as many sinners as you can to repentance. And with all your power, to build him up in that holiness without which they cannot see the Lord. And then lastly, um, I don't know what you think about Benny or, or Wesley, but I don't think that many can disagree with Spurgeon. He's a, he's a beloved favorite of most orators. In his book, The Soul Winner, he proclaimed this a little bit longer quote. Soul winning is the chief business of the Christian minister. Indeed, it should be the main pursuit of every true believer. We do not regard it to be soul winning to steal members of churches already established. We count it utter meanness, this one of my favorites, to build up our houses with the ruins of our neighbors' mansions. We infinitely prefer to quarry for ourselves. Our main business, brethren, is to win souls. The shooting smiths need to know a great many things, just as they must know about horses and how to make shoes for them. So, so we must know about souls and how to win them for God. So my, my occupation, I want to get better and better and better because that's my craft. It's what I do. And so every day I should go into it expecting to get better. My pastor is going to get his master's degree and we'll finish it pretty shortly because he wants to get better at his craft. And that's why I like looking at a lot of these old preachers. That was their craft. And you can tell by their quotes, they took it fantastically seriously. They were very serious about what they called the business of winning souls. And that's why I love the old heroes of the faith, because they just have such a reverence and just a respect for God's word and God's call and being absolute best they can be at that. Yeah. And okay. So, so those three quotes that you read, they all expressed the desire for the those men to to save souls or to see sinners converted. Now, like, does that necessarily mean that the way that you do it is by calling for a decision on the spot, inviting people to to you know? Um, now, again, I, is this a practice that was used by by Spurgeon? Did Spurgeon kind of invite people to come forward? Do you know? That's a fair question, Mike. I do not know. Okay. <laughs> but, but I guess, yeah, they have that great desire to, to have souls be saved. It's not just a much, not just enough to bring comfort to those that are in distress or to bring courage to those that are cowardly, but like the goal is for people to make, you know, a decision for Christ or rather to repent and open their, their hearts and faith towards Christ. And so they want to do that and are making use of whatever means necessary and, and saying to the people, you need to decide now. And I, I guess, I guess the way I look at it, I am not dogmatic. That's why God has led whoever's listening. That's why God has led you to lead your ministry, to lead your church, because he knows that you will use your personality the giftings that he's giving you. And therefore, he will send the people 
who will best relate to those giftings and personality to your church. I've always thought, again, not a pastor, I've always thought, if I had a church, man, I'm giving an altar call every Sunday because I want God to say of me, man, that Mason, you know, he's a little goofy, kind of weird sometimes, gets a little passionate, but I'm telling you, if I send sinners to his church, they're going to hear the gospel very clearly, very plainly, and not only that, they will have an invitation to receive me to whether to where they'll have to choose for themselves, make that decision to respond to my call or not. Mm. And so now, now you are, let's say, evangelistically oriented. Um, maybe would you say that's that's one of the the main gifts that God has given you, or um, you're enthusiastic about evangelism? Now, the kind of nerdy dude that listens to this podcast, like we're all kind of the, the teacher type, you know, we want to like explain the, the passage. So maybe some are listening and thinking, well, that's fine. But like, God didn't make me an evangelist. Um, what do you say to the person who's called to, to just teach the word and not to do the work of an evangelist? Well, I would probably think of just one of my favorite passages, um, so I charge you, therefore, to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all along suffering and teaching. And also, God tells us, fulfill your calling or do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your calling. Huh. So I will never say, Pastor, this is the way you're supposed to run your church. You better listen to me right now because this is the oracles of God speaking to you. Yeah, Not yeah. However, I think there's even if you say, I'm just a teacher. There are very subtle ways to say, take a pause from this message. What about you today? You might be listening to this message and you say, gosh, I've never even thought about the end times or I've never thought about forgiving my brother or I've never thought about, I've never thought about all these things. Mason, this is my first time in church. Did you know today that Jesus Christ desires a relationship with you? Yes, you listening and saying, is he talking to me? I'm talking to you. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to lead you. He wants a deep relationship with you. And I've got to ask you right now, how will you respond? So that's something for you to think about. I'm going to continue teaching the message. But for those of you that said, oh my gosh, he's talking to me. That was for you. I want you to know Jesus. And I'd love you to know him today. And then you go back to your teaching. Wow. Wow. And that... I want to know Jesus right now, Mason. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So you're saying, so, so this could be, you, you know, the climax of, of the time together. It could be, or you're saying also that as somebody is working through teaching through a passage, there could be a time when, when prompted by the, by the verse or prompted by the author of the verse, the Lord himself, where it's just like, Hey, listen, that was there. And then, but, but here's, here's here and now, and this is what you need to know. You need to know this. And you're also invited to, to, you know, with the empty hand of faith, you know, receive the Lord today and then you can, and then you can get back onto it. We just created so much, so much controversy in Christendom by people. A lot of the, the, the old kind of preachers that did the altar call, they're so mad. They're just so mad. And I don't know if they got angry or they had anger issues because of family or whatever, but they focus so much on, can you feel the flames of hell on your feet? You know, that type of thing. And don't get me wrong. There is an eternity of separation, but that's not why Jesus died just to save us from that. He died because he longs for us. He wants to know us. He wants to know him and he wants to lead us and begin the relationship that will last forever. And that's why I say it can be subtle. It can be a, a definite time for decision right now. Yeah. That's how I need you to do it. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I, I thank you even for kind of giving that little example of it where what, what you were saying like a, a moment ago, like it doesn't sound like manipulative. Uh, it doesn't sound that you're tugging on heartstrings or, or extending it into some elongated, protracted um, ordeal, but you just spoke 
to unbelievers as if they're in the room and you spoke to them as if Jesus is real and the gospel is actually true. And you invited them to, to really thoughtfully consider uh, the truth of this. Um, some would say that like calls for a decision or an invitation towards repentance or the altar call to use the, the traditional language, like it, it's, it's, it's uh, manipulative or it's, it's only emotionalism. So I think you kind of modeled a non-manipulative or non-emo, well, it's emotional, but not, not emotionally manipulative uh, version of that. Um, what role do you think like persuasion should, should, um, should play in this? You know, I, I think of Jesus, the example of Jesus in the wedding piece, really. He said, Hey, these people ain't coming. They're go, therefore go to the highways and the, and the hedges and compel them. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, you guys aren't going to believe this. We got a wedding feast. We got all this food and nobody's coming. Do you guys want to come? I'd love to have you. Well, maybe. Do you understand what food is available? This is going to be great. That that type of compulsion to come. And also, I think it's second, second Corinthians 5.11. Bible scholars, check me on the Check me on the math. It's but, true. I, I looked it up before, I, before this call. <laughs> okay. so, I have it open right here. Would you like me to read it? I'd love for you to read it. Let's hear that thunderful, wonderful word. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But we are as known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. Yeah, but yeah, we persuade others. So, so that is not. So, from the, the charismatic movement, and if anybody's charismatic, I mean no disrespect at all. But we are very good at pulling the scripture out and applying it to whatever we need it to be. Like multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. That's eh, not talking about salvation. That's that's I think the valley of hosts of that in Armageddon. So with this scripture, what it's talking about, what it's just spoken of, it's a call to pastors. And then another version says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Because it's just talked about the beam of judgment seat and saying, Pastor, teacher layperson, everything's going to be laid bare and it's all going to be exposed. And it is time for you to persuade men to receive me because you will have an account for all those people that came to your church and you say, you know, if you you want Jesus, feel free, you know, he's here if you want him. And again, I I know we can get to some theological discussions about that. All I'm saying is the very the passage itself says, because we know what God saved us from, we need to persuade men to receive Jesus to know him personally. Okay. And so persuasion involves overcoming objections or, and it also involves um, letting people know that like, it's better than they imagined. Um, So yeah. And I mean, funny enough, your first ultra call was given at a, as a persuasive, um, exercise. They were assigned to be persuasive. And so this might come more naturally to others or to, to some, but yeah, that's what we're called to do, to persuade and to convince. Um, so maybe last question before we get into some of the real kind of practical uh, nitty gritty kind of nuts and bolts thing. Um, you mentioned this earlier, I jotted it down. So who are the kind of the three people, the three kind of categories that you think are are ripe for this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, the, the word ripe is like, oh, there's a big shiny apple. It's ripe. Mm. Right. So the first is which, of which are sinners. There are people who will come to your church that might not never come, might never come there again. They're hearing to you teach God's, hearing you teach God's word. And man, it is dialed in. It is so clear to you and to the believers in your church, to them, I mean, brother, it's spiritually discerned. They're like, I don't know, he's talking about Jesus, he's reading from the Bible, I got no idea what he's saying. And so for that sinner that's coming in, they need a clear opportunity to have their blinders removed, have their spiritual darkness removed. And that's the first person. And I think that's where we fail, is we think that's altar call. That's the decision. That's the only person we can minister to. The next person is the wanderer, um, you know, prone to wonder, um, Lord, I feel it, prone to lead to God in love. I, I don't know, a, a botched version of that hymn, but those are the people that we're speaking to. 
let me be very clear in addressing the wonder. Don't beat them up. Just don't. There are so many preachers that have done that so well. The world has done a fabulous job in beating them up already. And to the Lord, they have strayed. They get it. They know they're wrong. You don't need to beat them up anymore. Overwhelm them with God's love. Overwhelm them with a father that stood up on the porch and said, my son, my son, my son has been gone and now he's found. He's been lost and now he's found. So that, that's the type of appeal to the second person or the wonderer. And the lastly, people that are just sitting in your church, they've heard the message. They need to respond. And again, this can be a very strong generalization and it's not necessarily giving God the credit he deserves. But it could be when they, you close the Bible and you say in Jesus' name, amen, that's the last time this week they're going to think about it. And they might not be going to read the Bible until they read it with you again next Sunday. So give them that, that believer in your service the opportunity to respond now to what God's saying to them. And ask that, you know, even in the prayer, God, remind them before they lay their head down on the pillow and go to sleep tonight. Remind them of what you said to them. Let that come to their memory. And so that third category. So, well, yeah. So the first category, unsaved. And then, you know, the the wandering, backslidden believer is the second one. And the third one is just, you're saying just church members church members who just aren't really dialed in. And so you're not saying to them, you got to get saved. You're saying to them, listen, this is serious. Would you like to begin living as if it's serious? And so it's kind of an inviting people to, to have an invitation towards like a more committed discipleship relationship. Is that kind of what you're thinking? That's absolutely true. But what more I was thinking when I said that is people that love Jesus, they're here to more God's word that is this third type of person. You said something. Um, they know that they're angry. Uh, let's talk about Mason. They know that their anger is a problem. And you've spoken about anger and how God wants you to deal with it. And so now Mason, hearing God's word, thinking, oh man, is he looking, is anybody else seeing me in here? Mason, what are you going to do with what God's spoken to you this morning? Are you a person that has anger? Are you going to allow God's spirit or are you going to walk out of here and remain unchanged? That's the third type of person, a believer that loves the Lord, that's here to learn more about God's word, that is dialed in and just needs to make a decision based upon one or two things you've made a point about that week. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Because sometimes people think, well, you know, I, I felt convicted during the sermon. So, okay, job done, you know, but there's, there's more to it than just, yeah. Um, feeling the conviction. Maybe there's a phone call that needs to be made. Maybe there's, you know, money that needs to be returned. Maybe there's some kind of a step of obedience that needs to take place, which maybe can take place in the Sunday morning during, you know, while before they leave the building, or maybe it just needs kind of a, a commitment that's made that I'm going to go make that right. Absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's get, practical okay so how how do how do i do this how how can a preacher do this so this call to a response like your your loving critique of of my message was that it kind of ended with like well lord if you know if, if someone's not christian make them a christian if you know someone's dealing with anxiety just help them to not be anxious in Jesus' name, amen. And, and so kind of addressing that, you know, that there could be anxious people in the room, there could be non-Christians in the room, and Lord, you just deal with them. And, you know, big picture, theologically, I believe God deals with all of them, you know, with all of us. Um, but you're saying that there was not really the the focused laser of like you, I'm talking to you now, here's what you can do next to kind of activate this faith or, you know, or, or to, you know, his, Jesus, there's the hem of his garment. You you want to reach out and grab the hem. How do you grab the hem of his garment? So what are some ways that we can make it more, less theoretical and more actual calling people towards some kind of a decision? Right. So Mike, before I go into this, I want to be very clear. This is Mason's opinion. I, I can probably piece together some scriptures in support but I want to let you know, you do what God calls 
you to do. That's the most important thing. As far as the unconverted center, the, the best altar calls I've heard is taking three to four minutes and giving a story about eternity. Like the reason Joe Center is not thinking about eternity is because he has bills, he has a wife that he's arguing with, he has kids that are rebellious, he has a job that he might lose. The reason he doesn't think about eternity is because the here and now is ever present. He's not confronted about eternity. Mm. Mm. The reason he's not confronted is we have a lot of pastors or people that are doing evangelism are willing to confront people with heaven and hell. And that's why I say, do that message, give that sermonette with eternity in mind. Remind people that this life is a vapor that appears for a little while and confront them with eternity. Do you think Anderson Cooper is going to confront people? Is Pierce Morgan ask people to get right with God? Let's get right with God today. If not you, who? Maybe a radio preacher? Then where's then where's their connection? And so that's that's the, the unconverted center. Uh, with the person that is wayward, if they're in church and they're wayward, it's because they know they are. And most times the Holy Spirit and convicting work is kind of done. You just need to put your arm around them, say, we're glad you're here. Let's get you back into the fold. And people that, and that's why I say the, the unconverted sinner is probably the, the individual that needs the most work because they're completely outside the fold. Sure. Wonder has already come back. They're in church for that. And then the believer has just heard a 45 minute message about exactly what they need to do. They just need to get, a, get, get an opportunity to respond to that message. Okay. And, and how, like, what are you going to ask people to do? Like there's, there's the kind of the traditional thing that you've referenced, the, the sawdust trail, um, kneeling at the altar. Um, you know, that's in our circles anyway, Mason, like we don't really do that anymore. Um, what, what is first off, should we? And then second off, like what are maybe a more contemporary or appropriate thing, um, how can we invite people to do something that kind of signifies that there's been a change or they want to act on that? Absolutely. And your point's very well taken. Our church does not have an altar. There is no place for a person to lean down and, and all that. And so the altar call is, is completely antiquated as, as the definition refers. So with those individuals, I'm a guy, again, do it how you believe God's called you. I'm a guy at the end of the service every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Because when you do that, that gives a person to be inter- a chance to be introspective and contemplative. Remember when I said, you know, Pierce and Anderson, they're not going to tell people. I don't know that many people have an opportunity ever during the week to be introspective and contemplative. Because the second you can do that, you have a cell phone and you can look up a YouTube video or whatever. That's the reason I like the head bowed, eyes closed. Hmm. And when you're talking, and by the way, you don't give this three to four minute sermonette about eternity when the head's about an eye closed. You lead that up to a message for an invitation. Then call sinners to repent. Call sinners to know Jesus. And yes, I, I do the hand-raising thing. I'm not uh, among some evangelists that say every every uh, head up, every eye open, everybody looking around. I, I don't do that. The public confession is going to come when you call them to talk to a pastor at the end. Yeah. But those individuals can have a chance right then to raise their hand to say, I need Jesus. I need him to change my life. And they can know that by that public declaration, they know what their condition is. Um, Chatty footnote. Ask the other believers, ask them to be praying for God's spirit to move. Ask every member of your church, because people that are believers, they know what that means. They know what it means because there's been a time in their life when they received Jesus, and that's the time that's right now. And then after that's done, you can just go into your second. Okay, there might be some of you that are wondering. Then go into third, but maybe you're here today and you, you say, I know Jesus, Pastor. I, I know why I'm here. I want to know God's word, but something 
in today's message, God spoke to you specifically. What are you going to do about that? Is there anyone who's got said, yep, that, that was me, Lord. That's what, and again, it's that public declaration. And then afterward, it's what's important. I don't make people move through the aisles like a, a Greg Laurie crusade or an old Billy Green crusade. Um, I have, I have the pastor, um, have them raise their heads and look at the pastor. Say, everybody else, head still bowed, eyes still closed. Those of you that are responding, could you please look at me? And then give them a chance for intimacy to see you eyeball to eyeball for you to know or for them to know that you care. And then lastly, as a follow-up, if you've done this, I want you to come talk to the pastor after, after service. We're not going to expose you. We're not going to put you on television, but we're going to have a chance to show you how much Jesus loves you and talk to you specifically about this. Wow. So it ends with some kind of a, of a call to, you know, come, come speak to, to these people, but allowing them, you could say even the, the dignity of their own space uh, to, to do that. And you're right to say like, you know, the whole Christianity is not to be lived in private. Um, but maybe that first couple seconds <laughs> can be that private experience. Um, and then there's like a clear direction, you know, there'll be pastors up at the front or in the back or, or there's a room to this, like you're giving a direction of like what, what to do next rather than just like, okay, that was great. I'll see you next Sunday, but making the place for connection. Is that, is that important to you? Absolutely. And I would encourage people strongly to lead people in a sinner's prayer. I know there's no formula in the sinner's prayer. If you were to speak it in Aramaic, it'd be a different prayer. However, the, the sinner's prayer gives people a chance to understand what they're praying. Some of the people that are responding to the message might have never prayed a day in their life except for God help me do this or God help me do that. The sinner's prayer articulates their condition as a sinner, the role of Christ in, as being a savior, God's love, and God's call for response, and that I am responding to that today. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. And um, we we mentioned how someone talked about how the the commun- the Lord's Supper is the only is the only altar that's present in in you know his church. Um, I maybe this is from my own experience. Um, we would have you know communion weekly. And I find that that also is a, a useful time to, um, for like demarcation. Um, it's, it's to say like, you know, and we're going to have communion together and communion is for believers and to say, and, and some of you are believers and some of you aren't, or, you know, most of you are believers. Some of you aren't. And, and that kind of is a, it's a moment to say like, you know, this gospel that I've been talking about for all these moments, like some of you are all in and some of you, this sounds like foolishness. Um, well, so this, this isn't for you, but it could be, you know, and then, and then from there have kind of a, a gospel appeal, but to say like, you know, what you need more than anything is you don't need these bread and crackers or this crackers and juice, you know, you need Christ himself. And, um, and there have been people that have, you know, been converted by the Lord. Um, and then like the first thing they do is, is to have communion. And then they come and talk to me afterwards. And that's actually, and actually Mason, this happened like two weeks ago. So I'm pretty excited about, <laughs> about that. Um, a man by the name of Connor, um, I was going to give his last name, but you didn't give Rhonda's last name. So I'm going to keep it. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he, um, it was, you know, at the conclusion of a, of a, he'd been attending somewhat regularly as his family as believers and, and he isn't. And he at the end of it realized this is it. I'm, I'm I can't mess around with this anymore. Um, I've been kind of nailed by what I've heard. Um, I need Jesus, and in his own way, in his own time, in his own privacy, he said, "I want to commit to Jesus." And he knew communion, which he which he had not taken ever before, because he knows that's not for me. That's for Christians. He took communion as a Christian for the first time, and then two nights ago, we spent two and a half hours together, just speaking about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what this is going to mean for his life. And so communion, while it's not evangelistic at all, it it also is like a demarcation. It gives the preacher the opportunity to say, this is for believers and it's not for you. 
However, you need Christ more than you need this ceremonial meal. So I've been able to kind of use that. Um, maybe I can add more to my repertoire with what I've just learned from you. But um, that's something that I've been thinking about these days, even leading up to this conversation, thinking about Connor and thinking about Connor. You know, he literally walked walked the aisle, but he walked it to the back of the church for the communion table, um, realizing like something has happened to me now which makes me eligible for this. I'm qualified now. I'm qualified because uh, I've placed my trust in Christ for the first time. Right. And, and I, I completely agree, Mike. And that's the uniqueness of the way God's called you to lead your church. Hmm. And the thing I loved about that is you probably wouldn't have been comfortable coming up and praying in front of everybody, this, that, and the other, but he was comfortable there. That's why God sent him to your church. Yeah. But important thing, if, if there's nothing else we talk about today, it's the word decision and or invitation and decision, which is exactly what you did. Yeah. And, you know, what I think would be kind of a win from this conversation, Mason, is like if, if, um, if some of the preachers listening to this, uh, whether or not they are enthusiastic about every single bit of vocabulary that you and I have been using, you know, like, who cares? Big idea is like, we have a great treasure and we get to like talk about this wonderful gospel news. And it's not just good news for the believer. It can be good news for the not yet believer. And maybe there's people that are going to come to your church this coming Sunday that they'd respond if they were given an invitation, if, if they're not just there to figure it out on their own. But if in whatever simple or complicated, whatever um, persuasive or short or long, if you give an invitation, uh, maybe the people that will respond. I, I went to a, a Calvary Pastors Conference a couple of years ago, and David Guzik did a really great teaching from uh, Thessalonians chapter one. And he, he spoke about like the power of the gospel and then he just actually kind of like challenged us to do an altar call. <laughs> he said, you know, some of you guys just like don't ever give people opportunities to, to believe. And he's like, I, I think that you should. He's like, this is part of what we do, right? But we don't do it anymore. And he just kind of like, as a challenge, put that out there. And it really struck with me. And then on the flight back home, I thought, maybe I'll do that. And, and that Sunday, I did. And, and two people, one of my, one of my neighbors who like occasionally visits the church and then, and then somebody else like wanted to talk to me afterwards and like asked me to, to pray with them and like, and wanted to give their heart to Jesus, you know, just like classic Christianity stuff that, um, that oftentimes we don't really emphasize that much. And so I was challenged to try it and I was really surprised. Like, I just thought this would be for me, actually, Mason, I thought like, Listen, I just want to like honor the Lord and try this. I'm going to look stupid, but like, you know, the Lord looks stupid for me on the cross, you know, so like I can do this, you know, and, uh, and actually, uh, I hate to say it worked, you know, but it it really had positive benefits from it for, yeah, for, for individuals who's, um, yeah. So I, I, I would think it's a win if like some of the guys listening to this, thought, oh, let's just give it a shot this coming Sunday and see what happens. Absolutely. And my, before I became a Christian, I was involved in a traditional denomination that my pastor, at least, didn't really teach salvation the way I understood it. And so at a camp, when I was just really excited about Jesus, I came up to this leader. I said, what do I do to get more involved? <laughs> because that's that was my mindset. I need to get more involved. If she would have just said to me right then, Mason, let me talk about a couple of things. The Bible says that we always, and again, don't get me wrong, God did his work. Yeah. But it would have been really cool if I didn't have to fumble and bumble around for a few months <laughs> wondering how to kind of do this thing if she would have just dialed me in. But again, God got me in the long run, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he's in charge of the ends and the means. Um, but some of the means could involve Bible teachers and preachers who listen to this podcast being the ones who clearly extend that invitation and ask people to um, really consider what has kept them from receiving uh, the Lord Jesus up until this point, and maybe giving some reasons why today 
is a good day to to trust in Jesus for the first time. Absolutely, Yeah. So Mason, thanks so much. You know, um, I, I want to talk to you again um, as a friend, but I also want to have you on this podcast uh, again. Um, I think you've got some really great ways of looking at life and ministry and even communication styles that I can't wait to have you back on again. So consider yourself invited and uh, listeners of the podcast, consider yourself warned because you're going to hear from Mason again in the future. All right. I hope that uh, this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and your public proclamation of God's word. Thanks, Mason. Thank you, Mike. Well, thanks again to uh, our honored guest, uh, Mason Mortimer, and thanks to you for, for listening. Now, I don't know what kind of steps you're going to take after this, but I hope that it involves giving your hearers opportunities to respond. Not to come to an altar, but to come to the Lord Jesus and do business with him. Hey, I do want to invite you to walk the aisle down to Facebook and join our Facebook private group. It's uh, facebook.com slash groups slash expositors collective. And it's just a great, vibrant online community uh, talking about things like altar calls, uh, talking about uh, our personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Uh, we regularly have conversations about the episodes or just ask questions about preaching or sermon critiques or opportunities to grow as a handler and proclaimer of God's word. So you're invited to walk down the aisle to facebook.com groups slash expositors collective I'll see you there. And uh, next Tuesday, we've got a great message from John Gracie uh, about building a house and managing our time. All right. God bless you.